Good morning, afternoon, and evening. We are back, Bostopia News, with Evan George to do an election preview of the District 5 preliminary election, which is little under one month away. Now, I chose to do District 5 for two different reasons. The first is that I long ago promised, and I've always been curious to take a look at the I'll call it a federal indictment, a federal probe into Rachel Rollins, which resulted in her resignation. Most particularly, I was interested in her correspondence with Ricardo Arroyo and what, if any, insight we can gain from that. So I figured this would be a great way of combining those two things. We're going to start by talking about that federal investigation and what insight it gives us to what was going on behind the scenes during that Hutley and highly contested Suffolk DA race from last fall. Also, if you haven't yet, I would go back and listen to me going through that Suffolk DA race while it was going on. I think there's still a lot of good insight and information to be found there. So that's the first reason I wanted to focus on District 5. And the second is that out of the three very contested, I would say, preliminary elections here in Boston... They are District 3, District 5, and District 6. And out of those three races, two of them I am heavily involved in. And it is much easier and much freer and probably makes for much better content if I focus on races and politicians that I don't really have to mince words or hold back or be afraid I might reveal something on. Now, I might still cover those two races before the prelim. I will most definitely do a review of both at the end, afterwards. But for District 5, I could be a lot freer. For really no other reason than if Ricardo loses this prelim, it really doesn't mean much to me. It is possible, and we're going to discuss it, that there is someone else in the race that would essentially vote the same way and not come with the same level of baggage from whether that was previous allegations of sexual assault when he was a teenager, the continuing to work with his brother against regulations, and then also his coordination with Rachel Rollins. And just the fact that he's from a big patriarchal family political dynasty and plays back from politics just like anyone else does. If you have all that against you and there's someone else who might essentially still vote yes when you would have voted yes or vote no when you would have voted no... Why wouldn't you go with that person? But again, we're going to discuss that later. For now, let's focus on some of that baggage, and most particularly targeting the two most recent, but the one that I definitely want to spend the most time on, and that is what went down with Rachel Rollins. And for a very quick recap first, Rachel Rollins was sworn in as the Massachusetts U.S. Attorney on January 10th of 2022. And roughly one year and four months later, resigned after a 161-page report from the Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz and the Office of the Special Counsel found that Rachel Rollins violated federal regulations, numerous DOJ policies, her ethics agreement and applicable law, and fell far short, unquote, of expected standards. Now, some of these or the highlights that I'll go into a little detail on, sabotaging a rival campaign, that's definitely going to be the big one we focus on, lying under oath, 
basically at first claiming that she was not the anonymous federal source that was cited in a Boston Herald article, and then later having to admit, actually, no, that was me. Going to a political fundraiser, which massive eye roll, receiving campaign funds when already elected for just under $600. And the one that, to me, is the most foolish to be a part of in this investigation, and by that I mean I don't think any reasonable person would think she did anything wrong here, but this was the getting Celtics tickets, which on first glance, if I just said she was given Celtics tickets, I think most people would be like, who cares? Like, don't don't most politicians just get stuff like that for free? They get invited by ownership. Isn't that just like one of the small perks? I mean, if I was ever in elected office and somebody was like, hey, we got free Celtics tickets tonight. You want to go? I wouldn't even hesitate. Just absolutely. But what what happened with this, and the reason I want to start with it, is that essentially she promised a youth basketball league in early uh, 2022 that whoever won the league, she would try to get Celtics tickets for as like a gift, as a little perk. And I think someone in her office, their partner, also like works with the Celtics. And Rachel Wallens asked, hey, do you think this is something we could do? I'll actually read from you now from the report. Quote, on February 17, 2022, Rollins spoke to a youth basketball group participating in a number of all-star games and competitions in Springfield, Massachusetts. The youth were part of a Project Safe Neighborhoods Youth Outreach Program in which the Massachusetts U.S. Attorney General participated. It continues further. She announced to the crowd, I'm going to see if I can get the championship team tickets to a Celtics game. My significant other works for the Celtics. We will see what we can do. Play a great game. So from the wording, I think it's actually Rollins' significant other who has some affiliation with the Celtics. And later, Rollins told the Massachusetts U.S. Attorney General first assistant, quote, they have a ton of tickets for games for kids, and it wouldn't be that big of a deal to get the tickets. And that she later told a program specialist, quote, this was something she saw as absolutely no problem, and that she believed it was in line with the DOJ's desire to create partnerships with the community. And then also, as part of this, once they got the tickets from the Celtics, who had no problem making them available, given the project that it was under. The Celtics then reached out and said, oh, we also have two tickets like for you and someone else. With the senior VP responding to an email that Rollins sent, basically saying, are you coming to the game? Do you need tickets? Rollins replied, I would love a ticket for the game, just to be able to walk up during halftime to go see the kids to say hello and take a few pictures. The senior VP replied, we will get you in one way or another working on the tickets, but plan on coming. She responded, amazing, thank you. I mean, is there anyone, like besides the fact if you hate her or you hate what you think her politics are, that would say that that was wrong what she did? in any moral framework of getting tickets for kids as part of an initiative to keep kids off the streets and get them engaged, to give them that sort of an experience that those kids might have not otherwise had, to then say, oh, hey, we got these tickets for these 30 kids. Did you want to come as well? Saying, yeah, sure, I'd love to. And the reason I want to start with that one, because it is the most innocent in a way, and the fundraiser is another dumb one, but I'll briefly explain that before we get to the good stuff, is that if Democrats wanted to fight to keep her on, this is probably how you would have done it. You would have looked at this report, you would have taken what is the weakest of these charges, and you hammer it. And then you would just have championed, is this really wrong that she went out of her way to give like a once-in-a-lifetime experience to these 30 kids? 
Like, is, is that really wrong? Isn't this kind of what we want our officials to be doing? Isn't this nothing more than just like the persecution of someone who Republicans don't like, maybe because she's a black woman, maybe because she in some ways buys into the diversion away from incarceration, particularly among young men and towards programs. But instead, immediately, I'm sure she was put into a room and said, you have to resign. If you don't resign, we're going to actually prosecute you on some of these things. Because immediately... She resigned, and then she released a statement saying to the fact, quote, The central truth is that Ms. Rollins moved from being an elected official with virtually no restrictions on her activities to a highly regulated environment of the U.S. Attorney's Office. This is a former Justice Department Inspector General um, Brumwich. Though Ms. Rollins could have raised many facts and arguments in connection with these issues, she had no interest in litigating them any further. She believed the better course was to step down and end the matter before it overwhelmed her office and DOJ. And I'm sorry, her actual resignation statement that she sent on May 19th simply reads, Dear Mr. President, this letter is to advise you that I am resigning from my position as U.S. State's Attorney for the District of Massachusetts, effective at the close of business today. Thank you for the honor of nominating me for that position in July of 2021 and supporting me during my contentious confirmation process. I wish you and your administration the best of luck in the months and years ahead, respectively, Rachel Rollins also CC'd the Honorable uh, Merrick Garland, Attorney General. And for me, when we look at the political landscape of 2023, there is nothing in here that is not standard practice that every single elected official, judicial appointment, whomever, engages with constantly. I mean, just look at the craziness that goes on at the federal level. Like the idea that even the most serious charge of she lied during an investigation, these people all lie constantly. And I just find it just fascinating of who gets caught and for what, and then what happens afterwards. Because if Rachel Rollins was a conservative, but was a Republican, and this was under a Republican administration, there was absolutely zero way they would resign. Because you don't get anything for resigning. You will just get deemed a loser and you're out. You do nothing. You fight tooth and claw. You stay in. You wait for the news cycle to go through. You have an entire both media and a political infrastructure to support you in this endeavor. And you just go through it. Like, oh, what? You texted someone. Um, hey, best of luck in the campaign. You reached out to a journalist. And I'm going to go through the details on this in a second. You texted a journalist saying, hey, you might want to look over here for this. You got some tickets to a Celtics game. You went inside a political fundraiser rather than waiting outside and having your one-on-one like you were advised. I mean, it's so little. And just to me, just the difference between how much of a fight this would have been if it was a Republican versus how Democrats, how liberals and progressives handle situations like this, which is, oh my, you have to resign immediately. You, you've dishonored the institution and the office. Um, you're going to hold us down. Uh, we need you to leave. I, I can't take these questions because we're supposed to be the good guys and they're the bad guys. And that, to me, it just highlights just this different analysis and understanding of what this is really all about and how Democrats are simply not willing to fight or to stand for anything but their own individual careers, their own individual self-interests. and. I'm probably projecting a little bit about things that are going on locally right now. 
but how liberals and progressives really only engage in this work or even just the act of voting or electoral politics as means of moral expression. That for them, all this is, is to self-reflect their own morality. And that is why they cannot handle it if someone who's supposed to be on their team tells a fib or crosses a line. Because now the people on Twitter are going to be saying, how can you support this person? They did something wrong. And now you start to feel a little bad because you're not making these analysis based upon power, based upon who is going to put and implement the best policies to help your community, the most marginalized members of your community that you profess that you care about. All that goes out the window. You just want to feel good. And it doesn't make you feel good if someone on your team gets caught doing something. Where for conservatives, they sit atop a hierarchy because they were either blessed by God to be there, because they're just tougher, they're stronger, because they're able to make the hard decisions, or because, hey, that's just the way life is. And while for liberals and progressives, they sit atop a hierarchy because they studied really hard for the SATs, because their morality, their recognition of how lucky and fortunate they are is what makes them blessed and capable leaders. And even though they end up making just about the same decisions as the conservatives in those higher office, they know that they really thought through it and that this is the best thing and it's the morally right thing to do. And since we are so smart and so benevolent, you don't need to talk about redistribution. You don't need to talk about decentralization. None of that. You can trust us. But if you do anything which jeopardizes that trust, like get caught lying, ooh, now you're out because you threaten and undermine the entire project. Now, having said that, do I really care if Rachel... Rollins resigned? Not really. Um, a lot of the do not prosecute list, it's my understanding they continued to prosecute. It's my understanding that she didn't go nearly far enough with firing and replacing personnel in the same way that that Larry Krasner, Philly DA did, just absolutely cleaned house. I don't remember anything like that coming from Rachel Rollins. Again, that isn't she's probably is one of the better um DAs that we had or attorney generals that you could put in that position but not at the level that I angry or emotionally upset that she resigned. And just before we get to the good stuff, the whole investigation that kicked this off, which really should have been kind of a tell that there's no way you're going to get in trouble for this. There has to be more to it. It was all about this dumb fundraiser, where on July 14th of 2022, the Democratic Party just had a, I'm reading from the flyer, a reception with Dr. Jill Biden in support of the Democratic Grassroots Victory Fund in Andover, Massachusetts. And this is how this whole investigation begins. It's all in the introduction. I'll read from it. Quote, available information indicated that Rollins arrived at a private home in Andover, Massachusetts, where the fundraiser was being held, driven in a government vehicle by a subordinate employee of the Massachusetts U.S. Attorney's Office. After news stories reported Rollins' presence at the fundraiser and questioned whether Rollins violated the Hatch Act, which is basically a federal statute that restricts political activities of federal employees who work in the executive branch. Now, Rollins, once she got caught at the fundraiser, tweeted that she had approval to be there. However, it appears that when she discussed this with the ethics office, what they advised was that she go to the steps of the party have a brief one-on-one -on -one with Dr. Jill Biden and don't go inside. And reading from that exact section, 
As more fully described in this report, we found that based upon advice she received from the MA U.S. Attorney's Office staff, Rollins agreed to a plan where she would meet with Dr. Biden outside the event and not go inside the home where the fundraiser was held. Again, like how stupid are all these little policies of, oh, no, 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 you can't speak inside the door, but if you're outside of it, that's okay. And that the, like, these are the things that, I mean, this isn't the core of why she resigned. And I have to imagine whoever opened this investigation, maybe they knew, maybe they didn't. But can you imagine Democrats opening a federal investigation because you were six steps to the left of where your office told you you should stand? Like, this is at all what matters? Which I really hope this isn't the case. I really hope the Democrats weren't like, oh my, no, no, we, we need to be, t- be seen as taking this seriously. And then they opened the investigation and then they found the real good stuff. It's to me much more comforting in my mind that they knew about the coordination with Arroyo. They knew about other things and then they decided, here's how we're going to go through it. Because if they were this dumb that just this investigation is what led to it, oh my God they would be even more incompetent than I, I think, which is a pretty low bar. But regardless, through this investigation of did she go to a fundraiser or not, now we can talk about the real reason we're here and Rachel Wallens and Akato Arroyo's connection and coordination during that Suffolk DA campaign. And these two talked about everything, which, good, I want... All of the elected officials, the appointment people, whomever, to be coordinating together to help one another to eventually pass the policies that I want to see. So five stars, great on doing this. And the communication begins well before the allegations against Ricardo Arroyo from when he was a teenager were published by the Boston Globe. Here's what some of these correspondence looks like. On July 6, in reference to a Globe report that black drivers are pulled over in Boston at 2.4 times the rate of white drivers, Rollins told Arroyo, do not let him slide on this. He needs to be asked at the next forum. Did you read the report yet? What are you going to do about it? All options on the table is political bullshit. This job, for the DA, needs a leader. He offered absolutely nothing yesterday. Nothing. He is a buffoon. Often no relevant info. You saw him try to run up next to me at a public event. Get away from me, scrub. On July 20th, Rollins told the Royal about her role while DA in helping to bring about an extension on the ban on mandatory life sentences to young adults as well as juveniles, stating, not for public consumption, just for you, but you can use those facts. July 21st, Rollins advised Arroyo, call Hayden out on the fact that he ended my investigation into the T and my call for a former Boston police detective to be charged with perjury. Rollins added that Hayden was a liar. Give you one or two more. On July 22nd, Rollins sent Arroyo a link to a news article about the recent election losses of two progressive prosecutors with the message, we have to have talking points about this, and then gave Arroyo points he could use to explain that the recent election losses were not signs of a trend. On August 22nd, Rollins asked Arroyo, do you have anyone doing opposition research on Hayden at Hayden's secondary school, at Hayden's university, any domestic calls to his house? a research service search. So all of those kind of just fall under general advice, or just direct back and forth talking to someone to try to help them through a campaign. The big two elements that Rachel Rollins was involved with assisting Carter Arroyo fall into, again, two different buckets. One is advice on how to handle the Globe articles bringing up the former sexual assault allegation from when he was a high schooler. And then the second is an attempt to 
reveal more dirt on Kevin Hayden. And that was really that latter part is what she inevitably got in the most trouble for. So just reading again from the text. Between August 17th and August 19th, Rollins had multiple communications with the Royal by phone and by encrypted messaging that included references to the law professor's letter. And whenever they mention law professor's letter, I believe what they're referring to is about a possible investigation into Kevin Hayden over his handling of the traffic cop incident, which to the best of my knowledge, there is a federal investigation going on about it. It started in January of this year, and I cannot remember if they have closed that investigation or not. I tried digging around. I can't find it. But continuing. Between August 17th and 19th, that multiple conversations by phone and encrypted text about that law professor's letter and a soon-to-be-published story in The Globe concerning sexual assault allegations against Arroyo. On August 17th at 11.56 p.m., Arroyo called Rollins and they spoke for over 35 minutes. It continues, on August 19th, Rollins and Arroyo began communicating with each other by encrypted messaging rather than text messaging. Rollins told us that Arroyo was the one who made the change, and Rollins stated that she did not recall Arroyo commenting on the reason for the change. Using this new platform, on August 19th, Rollins and Arroyo exchanged the following encrypted messages. Here is a very good public service alert. Those encrypted messages services do not protect you. Throughout this entire document, 161 pages, it says, and over an encrypted message, they said blank. Now, the reason they got access to this, I don't think it's because like they hacked her phone or anything, or that it's all being stored. Though, I'll be honest with you, I actually absolutely believe that everything that we do over Signal and all that stuff is just as easy for the powers that be to access it as it is me texting through Verizon. I'm sorry, I, I never am going to believe that a free software I can download from the App Store is actually going to uh, keep me safe or will not one day be used in a federal investigation about me. So again, everyone act accordingly. But the reason was once it was revealed, and by that I mean Rollins told them that yes, she does sometimes use her personal cell phone for business, which is again, it's against the law to do. Every single elected official, executive appointee does it. It is just natural. It is intertwined. They all end up using their phone in some capacity to answer an email, to respond to a text. It just happens. But because of that, quote, the Office of Inspector General asked Rollins for permission to image the contents of her personal cell phone. So I think just make like, you know, a, a duplicate copy in order to search for information related to Rollins' actions as U.S. attorney and relevant to our investigation. Rollins declined to grant the OIG permission to image her personal phone. However, Rollins agreed to voluntarily provide the OIG with all communications during specific time periods with certain individuals that OIG identified. The materials produced included emails, text messages, and encrypted messages. So here's where you mess up. Everyone remember during Deflategate with Tom Brady and the footballs, how he just smashed his phone? That's what you do. You smash the phone. You don't give them the encrypted messages. Or if you do, you, you put it on that service so like they disappear after a few days or whatever people do. You don't play ball. And again, as somebody who worked her way up through the legal profession, I have to imagine that one, she absolutely knows that, but two, thought that if she just played ball with these people, she'll get some negative press, whatever. She's not really doing anything that crazy or that different than what anyone else does. If I had to guess, that was probably what she was thinking. Let them go through another one of these dumb Washington investigations. Oh, I stood outside a fundraiser. Oh, no, I actually went in it. No one's going to care about this. Oh, I got kids Celtics tickets. Oh, I was texting a friend to help during a political campaign. Like, this is... 
going to get me in trouble. I'm going to have to resign over this. I don't believe she thought so. But you always act as if. Smash the phone. Delete the text. I can't recall. I don't know. Anyway, back to the first bucket. What was she talking to Arroyo about, about how to deal with the Globe article regarding the sexual assault allegation from when he was a teenager? On August 22nd, Rollins and Arroyo exchanged numerous encrypted messages about his campaign strategy and the forthcoming Globe story about Arroyo having previously been under investigation for allegations of sexual assault. Rollins gave Arroyo feedback on his draft answers to the Globe reporter's questions and told Arroyo in a text message, ask the Globe reporter to call me about the sexual assault suspect question. I will answer off the record. Also, on August 22nd, Rollins sent an encrypted message to Arroyo that included a recent op-ed piece in which a Massachusetts state senator endorsed Kevin Hayden for Suffolk DA. Rollins wrote to Arroyo, who is writing something like this for you? And why is that significant? Who wants to bet for a million dollars? Who is that Massachusetts state senator that while behind the scenes, everyone is aware some big bombshell article is going to come out going through a sexual assault allegation from Ricardo Roy of high school, who probably was in the loop, who probably knew that was coming and got ahead of it to write a little opinion piece about why we should be supporting Kevin Hayden. You guessed it, Lydia Edwards. Again, I don't have proof of this. The timing just works out perfectly. I guarantee you, she knew that this was going to come and she placed a bet. Placed a bet saying that Ricardo is not going to survive this and I'm going to get behind the person who's going to win. Again, political instincts, amazing, integrity, and the desire to use power to make a better world, not so much. But now back to the timeline. The next day, August 23rd, Royal sent Rollins a draft public statement about the sexual assault allegations and asked for Rollins' feedback. Rollins responded the same day with significant edits and additions to Royal's statement and told him to, quote, proofread and spell check. Rollins then advised Royal, just make sure what you say is accurate and take a page out of his book. Keep working and knocking on doors. Have a few quick talking points. Two days later, Royal updated Rollins on where things stood. Rollins responded, excellent. And if we can expose that Hayden did this with zero regard for actual victims, it shows how selfish and heartless he is. Another notable element of that is how bad of a statement <laughs> Ricardo Royal's initial statement was when this first came out. I remember it was on like a weird, I think, green background with a yellow font. But I certainly remember thinking, that is a bad statement. But now we get to the second bucket. The second thing, because while they are talking and coordinating about what is the best way to handle this Globe story and the inevitable fallout from it, they are now working on really their own counterpunch. Because if people remember, and again, go back and listen to the episodes I did. I probably should have done that myself. But going mostly through memory, Kevin Hayden was sinking. He was drowning. Like he was being accused of covering up police misconduct where a transit cop pulled a gun on someone. There were multiple articles coming out about how incarceration for young men, and I think in some cases children, were increasing while he was appointed as the Suffolk DA once Rachel Rollins again moved on. So when, and this is still alleged, but allegedly somebody from Kevin Hayden's office leaked these prior sexual assault allegations, which again, is illegal. Do I care? Not really. But you could just as easily do an investigation into that. And I guarantee you, if you wanted to write a nice little 161 page report on Kevin Hayden, wouldn't be too hard. Anyway, with this out, 
they now are going to try to put some negative stories out about Kevin Hayden. And the big one was the coordination about that previous allegation around a police cover-up, because ultimately it was announced in January of this year, so months afterwards, that there was now a federal investigation into was there a cover-up from this Boston Transit cop. So they were trying to get in the news cycle awareness that this is something that might be coming or that is coming. And here's how they went about doing that. And the dates more or less overlap with, again, the ramp up to these Globe stories against Ricardo Arroyo. So on August 16th, a Boston area law school professor emailed a letter directly to Rollins requesting that the Mass U.S. Attorney General commence an investigation into potential improprieties committed by prosecutors in the Suffolk DA's office now referring to Kevin Hayden. Referencing the Globe reporting, the letter stated that recent media accounts revealed troubling information that could potentially indicate public corruption and or other illegal activity committed by Hayden and his first assistant DA. The letter attached a timeline of facts reported in the Globe regarding the donations that the former transit officer and his attorney made to Hayden's campaign and the alleged statements of Hayden's first assistant DA. Now between August 17th and 18th, Following Rollins' phone call with executive office of the general counsel, Rollins asked the MA U.S. Attorney General for his assistant to begin the formal recusal process on the Hayden Manor. So Rachel Rollins was trying to, or was going through the process of recusing herself into what could be this investigation into Kevin Hayden, which on first glance, and again, the law is not necessarily my thing. I'm sure there are some parameters that they feel they have to follow. I'm not recusing myself. I am going right at him, and that's how I'm using the office. And now a few days later, they begin discussing, when are you going to launch this investigation? And so on August 22nd, Rollins sent an encrypted message to Arroyo. Again, now this is going back to when they were discussing Lydia Ed Edwards' little uh, article. Arroyo's initial reply did not answer Rollins' question, that question being, who is writing suddenly this for you? And instead asked Rollins whether her office would be announcing an investigation of Hayden, as shown below. This all is around 8.57 p.m. Arroyo, are y'all announcing an investigation into the situation with Hayden? He continues, would be the best thing I can have happen at this moment. Rollins responds, you need the law professor to release his letter. Again, the guy who wrote that letter to the attorney general's office. Arroyo, Rachel, you know what I am dealing with right now with the Globe. I'm not currently calling electeds to write op-eds. I'm literally fighting a punch meant to end my career. Rollins responds, understood, keep fighting, campaigning, I'm working on something. And they have multiple correspondence about this. On August 28th, Arroyo asked Rollins, what's going on with the investigation into him? Is that moving? Rollins did not respond to these messages. And now on September 1st, Rollins and her first assistant has the formal recusal memorandum, recusing herself from any potential investigation into Kevin Hayden, which again, I would say shouldn't have done, should have just used your office to announce an investigation. Anyway, and I, Rollins's strategy to try to help Arroyo during this is to get the Boston Herald to start reporting on this recusal, basically saying, hey, just want to let you know, I'm not doing anything about the Kevin Hayden investigation in the hopes that the reporter would be like, wait, what Kevin Hayden investigation? And then start writing negative stories about this potential investigation into his potential cover-up of the transit cop. That was like the strategy. And just before that, August 31st, Rollins sent a text message to the Herald reporter stating quick call. Now, this investigation, 
they keep referencing the Herald Reporter. They never name him. I instantly just thinking, what Herald Reporter would I have reached out to? It's Sean Philip Cotter. He does the best work with this type of stuff that the Boston Herald has. And they later reference, like, on this date, the Herald article published this. So it, it is very easy to figure out who it is. I, I hope this isn't doxing in any way. And I think he's with the Globe now, anyway. She begins having multiple phone calls with him from August 31st to, I think, September 3rd. And this is ultimately where she gets caught lying to these investigators, saying at first that she was not the anonymous federal source that Sean used, but then later admitting that she was. And ultimately, and this is something else I want to talk about, the Herald chose not to run the story before the primary election and instead published it on September 11th afterwards. And just before I go into that, text on September 2nd from Rollins to Sean, I understand you reached out to the DOJ about the Hayden Transit Police issue, and I've heard there might be some movement on that. Would you be able to give me a call tomorrow? And it seems like probably both Sean and the editors of the Herald were in some way trying to figure out, is this just a smokescreen by the Arroyos campaign? Like, is this something that, that's really going on? Because they're making calls to a whole bunch of people to look into this. On September 3rd, department call detail records reflect that the Herald Reporter called the MA, United States Attorney General Executive Office. They asked about that law professor's letter. They asked if, and they said that they had a law enforcement source that said that there was going to be an investigation to the Herald. The executive officer said that she could not confirm or deny anything like this. And according to the executive officer, Sean responded with the words to the effect of, I'm glad I called, dot, 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 I feel like you talked me off the ledge. Because I guess as part of that, we can't confirm or deny investigation. This person counseled the Herald reporter to use his common sense and be careful that his source was not trying to influence the election. So somebody from the executive office, when talking to Sean, who's investigating this, who is getting all these calls and texts from Rachel Wallens basically is saying this might be an attempt to influence the election, which two things can be simultaneously true. It could absolutely be an attempt to influence the election, which, again, I'll go on record saying, good, I'm glad, I want everyone doing this who's on my team. And two, it could be true, right? Like, there was eventually a federal investigation into Kevin Hayden, which might still be ongoing because we just don't have good local journalism that is easy for me to tap into to actually figure that out or not. So revealing something that is true, even if it is an attempt to influence an election, you can still do as reporters. And that is the big distinction between how the Herald handled this and how the Globe did. And just to, is also as part of Herald, um, of Sean's reporting, um, him now commenting and asking for comments from, from Kevin Hayden about all this. This is, again, also September 3rd. I'm following up on information that there will be an investigation of the Suffolk DA's office over the DA's decision not to prosecute two transit police officers who filed false police reports in a traffic stop. I was looking for a response from the DA's office regarding the investigation, which involves a claim that one of the officer's attorneys, a donor to Kevin Hayden, prompted the DA not to prosecute. What they received back was the Suffolk DA's office told the reporter that the office had not made a prosecution tutorial decision in the manner, and the investigation into the transit police officers was open and active, and suggested that the Herald vetted their sources thoroughly because this has the ring of campaign season silliness. And again, ultimately, 
they decided not to run this piece before the election. Now, did the Herald do that? Because from Sean's reporting, he was not confident that this was real? Maybe. Is it much more likely that Sean did write up this article and that the editors of the Boston Herald, who absolutely, I don't think this is a controversial statement, wanted Hayden to win, that their publisher, their editor, I don't know who ultimately axed it, decided not to run it? I think that is more likely. I think Harold looked at the situation and somebody there said, we don't want to do anything which might help a royal right now. Let's keep this in our back pocket. We'll release it after the election. I have a very, very hard time believing that there is someone in either the Herald or the Globe's office that would have held off on a story that would have made headlines. I mean, literally, they write the headlines, but on a story that would have gained attraction if they did not want that political outcome to happen. And again, let's contrast this with what did the Globe do? Now, they published the previous two different sexual assault allegations from when Ricardo Royal was in high school. I've discussed them ad nauseum, again, in those podcast episodes. I think it's a much more a more accurate interpretation to say that there was and is one alleged victim who still, she came forward somewhere between the Globe's article and the election saying that, no, this did happen. I believe to the best of my memory that I characterize that as when they were in high school, Ricardo and this alleged victim were in some sort of a relationship together and that Ricardo pressured her into giving him oral sex multiple times over a few months. And what the Globe got, I believe, were just certain selected pages from this overall file because anything involving a sexual assault allegation of minors is a sealed document. The only people that could have had access to this is probably in that DA's office. And the Globe decided to publish, which is kind of selective pieces of this investigation, because do you know why I ultimately think they also didn't want Ricardo Arroyo to be the next Suffolk DA? And one of the biggest pieces of evidence I have to that is that they lied in one of their reports. And I contacted the three journalists who were involved in it saying, hey, I'm going to discuss this. Do you have any comments on this? And basically what that that lie was, even though it's going to sound minimal, it's, it's really not, was I think the day... Two days after this Globe story, Carter Arroyo next morning holds a press conference where, as I mentioned before, there were two sexual assault allegations when it was in high school, just calling them alleged victim A and alleged victim B. Alleged victim A wrote a statement essentially saying that this was a lie, that sexual assault never happened, that the Globe was pressuring me, that they were twisting my words. The alleged victim A herself wrote that statement and then the lawyer read it out loud. How the Globe characterized that. And this is from the article that was last updated August 24th, published by Danny McDonald, Evan Allen, Andre Estes, and Andrew Ryan. And it's still listed as such, because I went back to check to see if they eventually corrected it, was, quote, on Wednesday, the woman's attorney, Mello Cronin, characterized the correspondence with the Globe as harassment and said the Globe had twisted her words. No, she didn't. Those were the direct words from the alleged victim themselves, who said that they were not a victim of Ricardo Arroyo, that the Globe harassed her, the Globe twisted her words. It was written in the statement. It was the words of the alleged victim. 
And the Globe decided to characterize that not as the words of the alleged victim, but as the words of the lawyer, which has a much different resonance when people read about sexual assault to hear from the alleged victim themselves or to hear from a lawyer where we all know is just going to say what is ever in the best interest of their client. And to my best recollection, the Globe received these documents well before they published them and released them in a time that was the most politically convenient to the Hayden campaign. And again, maybe the third and final time I'll say it, go back and listen to those two articles. I go through the timeline and the outline. But okay. End result, Ricardo Arroyo loses. Kevin Hayden wins. Now, here is how they talk about that loss together. Reading again from the report. As noted previously, on September 6th, Hayden defeated Arroyo in the Democratic primary race for Suffolk DA. Beginning at 11.22 p.m. that evening, Arroyo sent Rollins a series of encrypted messages, updated Rollins on the status of the vote counting and expressing pessimism about his chances for victory. At 11.24 p.m., Arroyo messaged, Your legacy work deserved better. The country deserved better, and I wish we were able to deliver. And again, that is Arroyo commenting to Rollins about the legacy of her work as Suffolk DA, and that that legacy deserved better. Rollins responded at 11.25 p.m. This was just dirty and unethical. Such a piece of shit, illegal move they did by leaking victims' records. They are not above the law. He will regret the day he did this to you. Watch. Arroyo responded, I hope so. I really need it for my heart, because this was literally illegal AF and harmful AF, to which Rollins responded at 11.27 p.m., and I am proud and grateful that you put your hat into the race, keep your head up high, you know your truth, and you can file ethics complaints and demand investigations until you get your answers. The truth always comes out. And I do think there is some insight there, especially for someone like me, and I express this a lot. I always say, I can't tell you what's inside these people's hearts. I don't know. I just look at their actions, most specifically about how they vote, and then I kind of work backwards from there. There does appear to be a lot of sincerity in that exchange on that night of a Royals loss, of them viewing this as them working together. And it might just be backhanding and, you know, patting each other on the back, like we're on the same team going forward. I need your help going forward. You might need mine going forward. Thanks for what you did. It could, again, it could just be that. But how that read did seem like they genuinely cared, not just about their own reputations, but around the role of the office. And the final two quick little things that I just think have some good insight into like how this all works behind the scenes is not just the direct outreach to Sean that Rollins was doing, but how people guide the press just in general. And this is referring to Rollins speaking now to a Globe reporter. This is back in August, but I just want to read this to you. Rollins sent a text message to the Globe reporter stating, you could ask for the grand jury schedule. The grand jury coordinator keeps his schedule in half-hour increments about who has requested and has scheduled GJ time. You could get the name of the ADA handling the case now and make a public records request for all emails to and from that person regarding this case. Also, ask for all correspondence from the T to the office regarding the case, and all correspondence regarding this matter, up to and including today, emails, texts, voicemails, calls, encrypted messages, etc. 
Remember, the police brought this to us about one of their own police officers. They had done a thorough investigation and absolutely believed that he should be prosecuted if they took this extraordinary step. This reaction is absolutely in response to your article 100%. And I just liked like the highlighting the almost, it's not even breadcrumbs, is literally helping this reporter by saying, here's how you get this information that I can't legally give you, but if you want to get it in a roundabout way, contact this coordinator, make this request, specify you want this. I found just kind of like, you know, that general, I'll call it hand-holding, but just a clever way of how the powers that be, the people in these offices, help the press, sometimes at this, like, minute level that you would hope like a senior investigator, those are those people that would have that institutional knowledge of how to do it. But the fact that we've gutted media to such an extent in this country, you probably just don't have that many veteran reporters. And so you kind of just do have to rely on what executive appointees want to help you out. And of course, that always means it's going to have a lot more of a political lens to it. I'm sure the history of journalism is politicians working with the journalists to leak them stories. Let's make, and this is something that I say a lot in left circles, especially when dealing with the media. It's your job to make their lives easier. They're under deadlines. They're very stressed. Help them out. Give them all the information they need. Hold their hand. They'll thank you for it and come back to you. And the other little funny part I just wanted to mention before we move on is how Rachel Rollins tried to cover her tracks within her own office. So once the Herald eventually released, you know, Sean Phil Carter released the article about a possible federal investigation into Kevin Hayden, I mean, that same night, this is September 11th, Arroyo responds thrilled, absolutely thrilled. And now Rollins reaches out to her staff, say, and reading again from the investigation, also within minutes, Rollins sent a text message from her personal phone to the Massachusetts United States attorney's office first assistant, the executive officer, and another staff member with a link to the Herald article with the questions, WTF? Exclamation point, question mark, explanation point. And when was the office contacted about this? And why wasn't I called? How are they quoting things? But again, it was Rollins herself that was the source. But now to try to cover her tracks, she is reaching out to her own staff, basically, or people within her office's administration just being like, what is going on? Who did this? I am outraged. <laughs> um, didn't seem to work. I mean, so they then hopped on a call for 12 minutes and the investigation goes further. But I found that funny. Just, you know, how people cover the tracks, but ultimately did not work for a lot of the reasons outlined before. Democrats not at all willing to put up a fight for Rachel Rollins. And she resigned. What happens to her next? Who knows? Sure, she'll find she'll enter the private sector in some capacity, and maybe she'll come back in four to six years. We'll see. But now back to Arroyo, because that was really just one of the big scandals, I guess we'll say, from this summer. The second is his payment of a fine. And I'll just very quickly comment on this, because this is already going way too long. Going to read from an article on June 27th. This is the WBUR article by Deborah Becker, titled Ethics Panel Finds Ricardo Arroyo in Conflict of Interest Case. Reading from the text, Boston City Councilor Ricardo Arroyo has agreed to pay a $3,000 fine for violating state conflict of interest laws. 
Arroyo admitted that he provided legal representation to his brother Felix Arroyo in a lawsuit against his brother and the city of Boston even after Ricardo Arroyo was elected as a Boston city councilor. And this is about multiple different lawsuits involving his older brother and I believe an alleged sexual harassment or assault allegation from when he was in the Walsh administration and then he was let go. So I think this is Felix being sued for that alleged harassment and or assault. And this is also Felix suing the city for his dismissal and Ricardo offering or giving legal representation. A big question I have was, was he charging his older brother? Because that would actually swing what I'm about to say, if somebody wants to give me some insight on that. Ultimately, my stance on this is pretty simple. As someone who also has an older brother, if my older brother asks me for help, I'm going to help him, period. There really isn't too much leeway around what I wouldn't do if my older brother asked me to, and if that is to give some sort of representation or legal advice, I will absolutely do that. And to hell with all of you. I don't, if, if you don't understand that, I can't explain that to you. That's how I first read it. I am kind of curious if he charged his brother, that might swing it. I'm never going to charge my brother to offer advice. But again, that to me, relatively minimal. Maybe there are some elements to this I don't understand, but oh, the brother asked me for help. I'm going to help him. Sorry. And now that we have gotten Finally, through the Rachel Rollins incident, everything else, all of this aforementioned baggage that Ricardo Royal comes with, we now get to look at the actual details of the race. Except we are basically out of time. I promise when I started recording, I meant to do all of it in one go. I got a little too carried away with the Rachel Rollins stuff. And so let's just do a good old fashioned Bostopia part one and part two episode. I promise, and I mean this, I promise, I promise, I promise, I'm going to release part two very soon. I already have most of the research done and hopefully we'll be able to record on Sunday. So it will come not in the normal three weeks later installment, but will come much sooner. And if you would like to incentivize me to do more episodes in a more timely fashion, the best way to do that is to promote the show. And you can do that by giving it five stars, writing a quick review on Apple or Spotify if you haven't already, share it around your friends and family. I know a lot of staffers listen to this. You get any new any new staffers? You want to give them a different insight into Boston politics? Share the link. Of course, you can also sponsor an episode. I would like to acknowledge the sponsor of this episode, Evan. Thank you very much, Evan Solidarity. And if you would like to sponsor a show, my Venmo is in my link tree, and you can always throw me a couple bucks for a cup of coffee and or beer. I always play and fantasize about doing this much more regularly, like a two-episode-a-week type structure and different things I would do. Should I start a Patreon? Should I not? I'm mostly just thinking out loud. Because let's be honest, do I really have the time to do that? Though I am a little curious how many people would subscribe if I did a old-fashioned chapo, one for public, one for free, twice a week. So if you have any insight into that, feel free to DM me. But, but that's for a much future dating conversation. I will get to you part two soon. 
But until then, take care and have a great rest of your day.